You know, one of the things that, <laughs> let's just pray first. Father, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for the wonderful, sweet presence of your Holy Spirit. We welcome you. We welcome you. We want to hear what you have to say. Lord, not what I have to say. Not my understanding or revelation, but we really truly want to hear what you're saying to us, Lord, and to receive it into our hearts and receive it by faith in Jesus' name. So we welcome you, Lord, and we thank you for directing and filling this time in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, here at Life Changer Church, one of our, I guess, most uh, important and significant concepts that we try to teach, you know, among many things that are noteworthy and important and foundational about the Word of God is the understanding of the kingdom of God. Um, Jesus says of Jesus early, early in the New Testament, and like in about chapter 3 of Matthew, that Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. In fact, it says John the Baptist preached the kingdom of God, and then Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God, and then it says of Jesus that he preached the gospel of the kingdom. And so I think, in my own understanding, is that the gospel of the kingdom is different than the gospel of salvation. And certainly the gospel of salvation, the new good news that you can be saved, is extremely significant as we heard Peter talk about, that preaching the gospel is so powerful that people who've never heard it before and have no bias against it receive it so freely and so willingly because it's the best deal going. That, you know, there's nothing on this earth that compares to um, the message of salvation. But I think the gospel of the kingdom is, is that salvation is part of the kingdom of God. And it is the way, the means by which we enter into the kingdom of God is by believing in Jesus and being saved is the way we enter in. But the gospel of the kingdom, I believe, is larger than than that and and includes it but Jesus went about preaching the good news of the kingdom and what was he saying the good news of the kingdom is the king is here and the old authority that has reigned in the earth since Adam is now being overthrown and the malevolent kingdom of the enemy is being overthrown by the generous and benevolent kingdom of God the Father, who is a God of love and passion and compassion and mercy. And so well, we strive to help you understand that. Now, the kingdom of God operates completely opposite and juxtaposed to everything that we think of in this natural realm or natural world, or as Gary Cassie says, this earth curse system that reigned from Adam until the coming of Christ and still is at work in the earth. And because we are citizens of this earth and we've been raised in this earth and we've been, we've been educated by people of this world, we have thinking and ways of looking at reality that are not in line with the kingdom of God. And that makes it sometimes difficult for us to fully embrace the truth of the scripture because while we're reading the truth of the scripture, our mind is saying, no way, no way, no way, no way, no way. And our own, um, the, the, uh, our own sense of guilt or shame or whatever that the enemy's been heaping on us since we drew our first breath and sometimes even before that is telling us that, you know, this can't be real. This is not for me. I don't measure up. And so we're in a constant warfare between the 
influence of this earth curse system, this world system, and religious thinking, which isn't always the same as the kingdom, with the truth of the word of God. So I want to preface what I'm saying by that. Because to cut to the chase, um, back probably in either the early part of November, the end of October, probably the early part of November, the Lord gave me a word one night, and that word was ask outrageously. Now, outrageous is something that is contrary to religious thinking. It is contrary to worldly thinking, unless you happen to be somebody who listens to a whole bunch of motivational speakers, and then it's more human-oriented or self-oriented or um, sometimes doesn't uh, incorporate, it's more sometimes new age-oriented than it really is scripture, gospel, kingdom-oriented. Now, a good Bible understanding and believing and truth-centered person might be able to bridge that gap. But there are lots of, there's lots of strength in the human soul. There's lots of power that God gave to Adam that when um, exercised can accomplish great things, but that is not the same as the kingdom of God. And for the most part, the kingdom of God is totally opposite of a lot of the worldly way of accomplishing things. But God said to me to ask outrageously. And so I've been meditating on that a lot. I've shared in a couple of different venues briefly, but we really felt like it was the kind of thing that needed a more extensive um, explanation. So, as we begin, we're going to look at some of the things that uh, qualify as outrageous. But I think the kingdom of God is outrageous. I think when Jesus came on the scene preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and then it says, healing all, doing signs, wonders, and miracles, casting out devils, bringing freedom, that was outrageous. Never before on the face of planet Earth had there been an explosion of of the presence and the power and the kingdom of God as there was when Jesus entered into his earthly ministry. I mean, first rattled up out of the box. Ted, Pastor Ted calls it it's like, you know, um, John Wayne. <laughs> he came out guns blazing. Pow, 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 pow. I mean, he was attacking the enemy. He was attacking darkness. He was attacking sickness and disease. He was attacking all of the signs of the kingdom of darkness and Satan's rule and reign and his tyranny over mankind. He came up out of the water of baptism. He went through a testing in the wilderness and when he came out, I mean he came out healing, delivering, preaching, teaching like no man ever before. It was outrageous. I mean, he did outrageous things. He, he healed lepers. He touched them, and they were unclean. You understand? And he touched them and said, one man said, will you make me whole? And he said, I will. Now that's outrageous. And he touched the man, and the man was made whole. He, he forgave sin. He was in a house one day teaching, and some guys were trying to get to him with their sick friend. Have we seen Jesus do all this amazing stuff? We want to get to Jesus. But the place was so crowded that the people were crowding from the outside, just trying to peek in a window or be on the, you know, on the property and flowing out into the street around this house. It was so full. These guys carried the, their friend up on the roof. They tear the roof apart. They lower the guy in front of Jesus, and Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven. And everybody was like, oh, what? what do you mean? Who are you to forgive sin? Who gave you the authority to do that? Only God can do that. I mean, only God can do that. How could you say that? 
Jesus said, well, okay, you know, it, which, which is harder to do, to forgive sin or to heal the guy? Well, okay, buddy, take up your bed and walk. Well, now he's in trouble because, you know, on the Sabbath, nobody's supposed to carry anything. It's like everything this man did was outrageous. It was beyond the limit. So God said to me at about four in the morning when I was laying in bed praying, and I was thinking to myself, you know, Lord, um, I don't have a hard time. I, I thought, it was, this was personal things I was praying about, things that were needs and concerns to me. And, um, and I said to the Lord, I said, you know, Lord, I don't have any trouble asking outrageously. When my husband was dealing with a tumor last year, I'd put my, <laughs> I'd put my face right up there to say, hey, in there, you listen to me now. <laughs> I got something to say to you. I'm going to send the sound of my voice and the reverberation of my voice, the vibration of my voice with the word of God. So take that. <laughs> and of course, when they got in there, all the stuff that they thought was really bad. Yeah, the tumor was there, but it was changing. And, um, and then uh, uh, all those lymph nodes they thought were going to be bad and all the other things they thought were going to be bad, they were all clear. Well, that's pretty outrageous. But I told the Lord, don't have a hard time asking outrageous for Ted. I don't have a hard time asking outrageous for you. You know, you see, I don't, I'm not hindered by any of your secrets. <laughs> you know, because unless you've been acting out in a way that, reve that reveals them to me. <laughs> you know, I'm not hindered by your, your junk. I don't know how long you've been carrying it. I don't know what all the roots of it are. <laughs> I don't know all of what you've done, even if I know a little bit of what you've done. I, I don't know it all. And so I just look at you and I think, here's somebody I love. Here's a child of God. Here's someone that Jesus died for and they deserve better than this. And so when I ask, I ask boldly and outrageously, but for myself. I was saying, Lord, you know, it's easier for me to do it for them because I know my secrets. <laughs> I know all my weaknesses. I know those places where I have doubt and unbelief and fear. And so I was telling the Lord, Lord, I have a hard time asking. Now, I hadn't used that word outrageous in this prayer thus far. And that's when God said to me, Jenny, ask outrageously. And I was like, oh, you know, whoa, you want me to ask outrageously? Don't not be hindered by unbelief, not be hindered by fear, not be hindered by lack, not be hindered by the fact that, Lord, there's some things I've been praying about for a long, long, long time. And I'm 67 now, and I started praying over these some of these things when I was 30. And... I hate to say this, Lord, but the truth of the matter is, unless something really miraculous happens, I have more days behind me than I have before me. And I have promises. I have things that I want to see that I haven't seen and I'm still holding on to. You know, and I was telling the Lord, I can, I can ask outrageously for somebody else. I have lots of faith, but when it comes to things for myself, sometimes it's hard. And so that's when God said, ask outrageously. And so I looked up outrageous. Outrageous means, and this is like Miriam's Webster Dictionary. This is not like Wikipedia or something. <laughs> you know? Outrageous. It means exceeding the limits of what is usual. Outrageous. When you do something outrageous, it exceeds the limit of what's usual. So I think if you were standing on the top of a building thinking you could fly... <laughs> That would be beyond the limits of what's usual. I thought, well, no, but take it out of that realm to say Jesus walking on the water. That was probably outside the realm of what is usual. Because this kingdom of God can supersede natural law. It can exceed the laws of physics. How did he do that? You know, because, um, for instance, you know, it's like glass. I mean, water can take forms. It can be a solid. It can be a liquid. It can be a vapor. So as he was stepping on that water, was it taking on a solid form? 
Did God suspend gravity? You know, I don't know. Did God somehow cause Jesus' body mass to be lighter than the surface tension of the water so that his body didn't have the same? I don't know what he did, but what he did was an outrageous thing. It was beyond the limit of what is usual. And I think in the, within the realm of our faith, often we... Um, are bound by the limits of what is usual. Well, that's not normal. Well, it doesn't work that way. Well, that could never happen. Because we look at the usual, we look at our experience in this earth realm, and we have less consciousness of how the kingdom operates, and so we're bound in our belief by what's normal, what's usual, the way it works. Do you see that? But to be outrageous is to exceed the the limit of what is usual. It means um, to be shockingly excessive, to do something in a shockingly excessive way. So something that's outrageous is shockingly excessive. Unusual, unconventional, or extraordinary. Beyond reason. Now, there you go. What is one of the things that hinders the word of God operating our lives is reason. Taking captive every thought. Bring it to the obedience of Christ. Casting down imaginations. That, that word there is reasonings. Casting them down. Everything that exalts a sense of self against the knowledge of Christ. So there are reasonings that literally conflict or come into to a conflict, cut a tissue please baby, um, with the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God operates. And we have to, if we're going to ask outrageously, we're going to have to ask beyond reason. You know, I can't afford that. I could never do that. I've been stuck with this as the prophetic word came forth this morning, which wasn't even a part of my thinking. But when I was standing here, as we were praying, praising and worshiping, the Lord said, there's freedom. There's freedom. People are carrying things around. They've been carrying them from year to year to year to year to year. And they've lost hope that they can be free. They can sing about freedom and they can rejoice in a freedom, but it's a freedom they hadn't yet experienced. They're still waiting on. They've seen it in some areas, but they haven't seen it in other areas. And it seems beyond reason to them. I can't do this. I don't have the strength to do this. I've been trying to do this, but I can't. And so to ask outrageously is to ask beyond reason, to ask, to to be extravagant, you know, where it says, um, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Well, we think of abundance, you know, okay, you have the the cup, you're filling it up, the water overflows, okay, you know, that's abundance. That's not abundance in God's way of thinking. God's way of thinking is you have a glass, and I'm going to pour the ocean into that glass. See, that's God's idea of extravagant, outrageous, beyond the limit. Do you understand how our thinking, you know, one um, man preached a message, and it may have been, I don't know if it was one of C.S. Lewis's, books or what, what is your God too small you know? is your God too small and so I listened to this uh, man teach one time he was from Uganda Uganda under Idi Amin was one of the most terribly persecuted and um, uh, abused nations on the face of the world the man was evil he was pure evil he was a Hitler poor you know pure evil kind of a man. And um, he would just walk into a church and have his people going to just, you know, kill everybody in the church. Um, the, the pastors and the Christians were hiding out in the jungles and in the swamps, fleeing from this man and his rule of tyranny. And so, um, but then God began bringing revival. And the man said it was when we were out in the swamp, desperate with nothing else, we put down all of our 
prejudices against this denomination or that denomination or speaking in tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and how do we baptize and on and on. We put down all those things and we prayed out in the swamp because we were so desperate. And God began bringing revival to Uganda. And one of our good friends who's been here at the church, David and Shonda Tompkins, go to Uganda. It's one of the places that they go and, and preach the message. But Jackson Sinyanga um, became, got born again in a miraculous way and had a church there. And it was in a time of revival and things were good. But here's what he said. He said... I thought about my work for God that I should do it slowly by slowly. That's how we would say it, slowly by slowly. That I should work for God slowly by slowly, little by little, slowly by slowly and little by little. And one day God came to him and he said, I am not pleased with you. I am not pleased with you because you have much pride, much pride. I am not pleased with you. He said, no, God, no, I'm a humble man. I'm a humble man. I, I, I do not have pride. No, God says, no, you have pride. He said, he began to be broken inside. How could I have pride? He felt like he, he was so humbled by his circumstance, so humbled by his economy, so humbled by the way when he was born, uh, his mother threw him on the garbage heap. And it was only his grandmother who came and took him in and nursed him. These things happen, don't they, John Ray? In, in places where it's very, very poor and where there is no gospel light and there is no truth. And, and so he says, I'm a humble man. I'm a humble man. I'm not a, I'm not a man of pride. I don't, I don't even have a big church. I don't, you know, uh, I'm just a humble man. I'm, I don't have pride. And so he began to pray. And finally, the Lord, uh, after he'd been praying, the Lord spoke to him and said, you have pride because you think my kingdom works little by little and slowly by slowly. You can do little by little and slowly by slowly without me. I want you to ask big. I want you to ask for more. I want you to believe for revival. I want you to believe for a big church that can influence this city. No more little by little and slowly by slowly. And so outrageously... It's beyond little by little and slowly by slowly. But about our lives, people, how do we believe most of the time? How do we believe most of the time? Little by little and slowly by slowly. But little by little and slowly by slowly, you can do yourself. It doesn't take faith. It, 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 it's pride. I don't want to appear, be embarrassed. I don't want to look I'm, like I'm um, stepping outside of my place. I don't want to look like I have pride. I don't want to, you know, um, do anything that if I were to fail, I would be embarrassed or I'd embarrass God. And so instead of believing for a big thing, I believe for little by little and slowly by slowly. And yeah, it's wonderful to set out goals and set goals out, you know, what I'm going to believe for, da-da-da-da-da, and this is what I'm going to work for. That's fine. But I think God is trying to say to us, we have to put aside some of this little by little and slowly by slowly thinking and ask outrageously. Because Jesus did some outrageous things. He didn't come on the scene little by little and slowly by slowly. He came on the scene, bang, boom. Like, you know, Batman. Remember the old Batman shows and they, pow, zam. And that's how Jesus came on the scene. And the kingdom of God is that way. So, to reiterate, exceeding the limits of what is usual in a shockingly excessive way. Unusual, unconventional, extraordinary, beyond reason, extravagant, immoderate, unrestrained, in a very bold and slightly shocking way. 
Now that woman with the issue of blood who'd heard about Jesus and had suffered a long time over many physicians and spent all the money she had, and she heard that Jesus was doing all these healing miracles and marvelous things, when she heard he was coming to town, she kept saying, you know, be, even before that probably, if I could just get to Jesus, I'd be okay. If I could get to Jesus, I'd just be okay. If I could even just touch the hem of his garment, I'd be healed. I know it. And when he was actually coming to town, that woman gathered up her little robe around herself. She probably did everything she did, could do to hide the fact that she was unclean, although probably people who were in her neighborhood knew she had a problem. And all those doctors she went to and family and everybody else. And it was not right for her to be in the presence of, of, of the public, to be out in the open, because she was bleeding. And anybody who had any kind of a blood issue was like forevermore banished from being in the contact with the general population. But nonetheless, she did something that was outrageous. <laughs> she did something that was shocking. And have you ever wondered, now we read all that in the passage, and then we read the thing where Jesus said, who touched me, and da-da-da-da, and then she speaks up and says, it was me, and he says, go, your faith had made you. How do you think they got the rest of the details of that story? How did all the rest of that detail? Here was a woman. She'd had this issue of blood for all these years. And she went to many doctors and spent all her money. And she was in no ways better. And then she started saying, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. If I just get to jail. Where did they get that information from? I don't know who was this, you know, the Fox News <laughs> correspondent that later went back and found out that woman. Okay, I want to know your story. <laughs> but somebody did. Because it was so outrageous the thing that happened to her they wanted to know the details <laughs> so it got in the book and it was shocking so let's think about a few other people who are kind of shocking in the scripture what about a little shepherd boy who went out to the battlefield one day now um all of the life changer children's church. You know who that was. Who was that shepherd boy who went out? That's right. It was David. It's one of the most best and most well-known stories in the Bible. It's one of the first ones that we teach these, <laughs> these little children. It doesn't matter how small you are. You're great in God's eyes. No matter how small you are, you can do an extraordinary thing. All it takes is knowing who your God is. And you know, uh, one of D David Estes' favorite books was a little wonder book, golden books that they used to have with a little hard cover on it. It was a blue background. David was in the foreground. The big Goliath was in the background. And we read him that story over and over and over. So he would walk around saying, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? To defy the armies of the living God. <laughs> Didn't he, Ted? <laughs> he would say it over. Who is this uncertain? I planted a picture in my son. About a God who will defend his people. A God with whom they have covenant. You understand those are covenant words. Who is this uncircumcised, no covenant, unbelieving, demon worshiping, you know, guy who, 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 you know, worships stumps and rocks and whatever. Who is he to stand before the army of the living God? A man with no covenant. And I think while David was out there, you know, taking care of the ship, well, we know he killed the lion and we know he killed the bear. But I, can, I got two sons, David. And James and David and James used to line up uh, bottles and cans, most, most cans because we don't want to shatter glass, but line up cans. And they had a, David had a little slingshot, didn't you, son? And they practiced with that slingshot. I can hit that one. I can hit three in a row. <laughs> I can hit two, four, and six. You understand what I'm saying? So out there with the sheep board, no cell phones, no laptops, no satellite, 
No downloading, no games, Game Boys. Out there in the stark, naked, empty, lonely, you know, mountains outside of the, the city. Here's a young boy by himself with some sheep. They're not big conversationalists, nor are they, you know, particularly entertaining. And so I see him. I can get that leaf off of that bush and just doing that all day long. Maybe he would relive Joshua and the battle of Jericho and he'd march around those sheep and march around the, you know. Maybe he'd redo the, the, the battle of Jehoshaphat. The Lord is good, his mercy endures forever. You know, we're going to march around. Can you see him? Gideon, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. Like, like young children pretend to be their favorite characters. There was no Superman. There was no Spider-Man. But there were these heroes of the Bible. And they knew their stories. So David had that inside him. And he gets to where the, the uh, battle is being engaged. And they line up day after day for battle. And then here comes Goliath. Give me a man to fight me. And all of Israel runs in fear. David gets there and he looks around like, what is going on here? This does not match up with all those stories that I know. This does not match up with God, what God's done in the past. This does not match up with a covenant people. What is going on? So he asks, starts asking around, hey, what will be done for the man who defeats this giant? Because who is this uncircumcised Philistine anyway? To defy the armies of the living God. So they tell him all the rewards. And they're thinking, yeah, but you don't get to have, be, live tax-free and have all these riches and get the king's daughter. No enjoying that when your head's cut off. See, it wasn't, a, it wasn't even a bit of a temptation to anybody else. But David's like, that's an outrageous thinking, you understand? Hmm, what will I get if I do this? There's got to be something good in it for me. I mean, if I go out there and take his nothing. He's nothing. He's uncircumcised. He has no covenant. I don't care how big he is. My God is bigger. That's a David attitude. That's an outrageous attitude. And so, finally, he gets, he gets to his brother, his oldest brother. He's the youngest of the clan. You know, he's the caboose at the end of the train. And he gets to his brother and says, Hey, what'll be done for the man who does this? And his brother thinks he's outrageous. He starts really running him down. Who do you think you are anyway? You're just a conceited little runt. What makes you think you can do anything? Who are we? What are you doing out here anyway? Drop off the lunch and go home. Is that not true? So do you understand that when you start to act outrageously and beyond the limits, there are shushers. Shh. Go away. You don't have any right to ask that. You just think more highly of yourself than you ought. Who are you anyway? You look like you're filled with pride. You look like, well, it's all about me. Well, other, what other, you know, other people have that. Well, who do you think you are that God would answer your prayer anyway? You think you deserve that? You think God cares about those piddly little things? I mean, after all, he's the God of the universe. I mean, really and truly what he should be doing is giving us world peace and stopping hunger and sickness and disease. I mean, if he was really worth something, he'd do that. He has all those big issues in the world. You think he cares about your flat tire? You understand? But that's, that's the world thinking, and it influences us. But David said, hey, is there a reward out there for this? Mine. It's all mine. I can do this. I got this covered. I killed the lion. I killed the bear. This guy's going down. But his brother tried to dissuade him. What about blind Bartimaeus? And Jesus is on the way to Jericho. And he's sitting by the road with a couple of other beggars in his beggar clothes. But he heard about this Jesus. And he heard the commotion of people coming. And he said, hey, what's going on here? What's going on? Probably somebody's family member who, you know, could see, said, oh, yeah, that's that Jesus dude. He's coming this way. 
Blind Bartimaeus says, Jesus is coming here, right past me. Hey, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. Oh, son of David, have mercy on me. Oh, Jesus, I'm over here, I'm over here. Don't pass me by. Don't pass me by. Son of David, have mercy on me. Shut up. Shh. Shushers. Every time you have a dream or a vision or something you want to ask outrageously, you know, there'll be a shusher. And the biggest shusher is the one that's between your ears. And they shushed and shushed, but finally just said, hey, who is that? Tell him to come here. Now they're all excited. Ooh, the big man. He's on your side. He's invited you here. Let me help you, you know. He wants you. He wants you. He's calling for you. Go ahead and go. Born the Lord made us gets there. Jesus looks at him as if it's not obvious, by the way. Jesus asks him, what do you want? You see, it's not enough just to have the desire on the inside. It's not just enough to have the dream on the inside. Sooner or later, you have to ask for what you want. He says, hey, Lord, that I can see. That's what I want. Do you get it? There's some outrageous people who ask outrageously, and there's always people and things that oppose that. What about the Syrophoenician woman? She had no right being there. She was a Gentile, a Canaanite. She had no covenant. But she had a daughter who was so grievously affected by the devil and demons that it doesn't tell us what she was doing. We know it was the one boy after the Mount of Transfiguration. He tried to kill himself. He tried to throw himself in the fire. He tried to throw himself in the water. He threw himself down on the ground and convulsed. That's pretty serious stuff there. Pretty serious stuff. Anyhow, the Syrophoenician comes out seeking out Jesus. And she starts hollering at him. Son of David. Same thing as Bartimaeus said. Son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, Lord. Have mercy on me. My daughter's grievously vexed of a devil. Lord, I want you to help me. I'm coming to you, Jesus. I'm asking you for help. And he just keeps on walking. You know, silence from the Lord isn't necessarily a no. You know. He just keeps on going. And his disciples tell her, go away, woman. Go away, woman. What do you think it looks like for this group of men to be going, you know, going along down the road and having this woman following behind them, creating a scene? Like, well, you know, we may not be much, but, you know, our, our state has, has risen significantly hanging out with Jesus. You know, at least we're not, you know, just pulling seaweed off of nets and smelling like fish. We're dignified now. We've come up away, you know. We hang out with those Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders and, you know, city officials. We can't have you hanging around us, woman. Shh, go away. But she kept on all the way. Jesus, I need help. Jesus, I need help. I need it now for my daughter. Have mercy on me, Lord. Have mercy on me. Finally, Jesus said, well, what do you want? Hey, I, I want my, I, my, my daughter needs help. Well, you know, it's really not the time of the Gentiles yet. That's so significant. I mean, essentially what he was saying. I've come to the house of Israel. That's not you. Next, she turned around and walked away with a sad, pouty, hangdog face with her lip out. Jesus has rejected me. I am. I'm just a dog. I'm not worthy of anything. Well, I guess there's no hope for me. One more rejection in my life. One more rejection. I've been so rejected. I've had a horrible life. Now Jesus rejects me. Understand. You identify with the poor me, ain't it awful, eat a worm and die, thinking. She wouldn't be stopped. She asked outrageously, listen, Lord, 
know how this works. I mean, at, at our table, if there's, if there's a dog under the table and the kids drop Fritos. Listen, when my grandkids have been in my house, even if Bonnie has been banished to the outdoors, the first thing she does when she walks in the door is go around the table and under the chairs. <laughs> this is the truth. I know those kids were there. I know they left something behind. Little woman says, listen, I know how this works. Even the dogs even get to eat the crumbs. That's outrageous. But what did God, Jesus say? Great is your faith. I better quit. It's almost noon, and you're probably tired of all this get-to-the-punchline business. What'd you say? You'll wait. You know, so that's outrageous. And I think religious thinking tells us, tries to inhibit us, and the world tries to inhibit us from asking outrageously. So, Many of you heard the story that when Pastor was in his health challenge last year, one evening when I was uh, talking to the Lord, I said, you know, Lord, and I'm sure, you know, I believe, I say, I believe the Holy Spirit put that word in that woman's heart because she had so much faith God was, God was working with her, you know, to help her. Because I, I, don't, I don't think we come up with these brilliant things on our own, you know. <laughs> So what I'm about to tell you is it's no reflection on me ex except that the Holy Spirit was with me, helping me. So I'm, pr I'm praying for a pastor. And, you know, our, our situation was pretty critical and serious. And, and I said, you know, Jesus, I don't see anywhere in the scripture where anyone ever invited you to their house, but you didn't come. So Lord, I'm inviting you to my house. We need your presence here. We need your work here. We need your healing power here. And you went to Peter's house and healed Peter's mother-in-law. And you went to Jairus' house and raised his daughter from the dead. And you went to the centurion's house. And he said, oh, Lord, you don't even have to come in. You know, just speak the word and it's done. But, you know, he went. Well, you know, Lord, I, I, just, don't, I just don't see it. So I'm, I'm inviting you to my house. <laughs> I need help, you know. In fact, I even, I even told him, David Jumper, I said, now, Lord, if I had a problem with my plumbing, as I did one day as pastor was, had gone out of town, you know, it's sort of like the pastor leaves and, you know, the devil attacks. It happened more than once, not all the time, but significantly enough that it's noticeable, a noticeable pattern. And all of a sudden, I turn on the sink and Something pipe breaks underneath it, and I've got water under the sink. I've got water on the floor. I got, oh, geez. And so I called David Jumper. Do you remember this, David Jumper? You came to my house. Are you back there? Am I telling you the truth? Am I telling the truth? This is a true story. And what did you do, David Jumper? <laughs> and not only did you show up, what else did you do? I told the Lord that. Lord, that. Lord, David Jumper's my brother. When I had a problem and I had a need, I called on him. And he came to my house. And he fixed the problem. I can't think, Lord, that you act any, in any less of a kind, loving, compassionate, and serving way. So I had asked, been asking the Lord to my house. So I was talking to the Lord, and this is this like just in the last couple of weeks. I said, Well, Lord, you know, last year I asked that, and you showed up. I mean, angels showed up in our bedroom. I mean, you showed up. I saw a healing wing manifest over my husband. You showed up, God. And he said, he, Jesus said, Yes, and I'm happy to come when you invite me. But you know, you don't have to wait for me to come, you can go boldly. So that's the second part of this ask outrageously, but go boldly. We can go boldly to the throne of grace. Now, specifically, this passage of going boldly to the throne of grace falls within the context of the writer of Hebrews talking about not walking in unbelief, but walking in faith. And then he goes on to say, Jesus was a man tempted like we are in all ways, yet without sin. So therefore, you can go boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and help in your time of need. 
When you're facing temptation, that's not the time to withdraw. That's not the time to be embarrassed and in shame. That's the time to go to the high priest who in all ways was tempted like we are, yet without sin, who has mercy and compassion for us because he knows what it's like to walk on this terra firma, earth-cursed planet. So specifically, that's what it, it, it's about. It's about finding help for your, when you're in temptation. Finding out, but you know, you, you become tempted when you have a need. You become tempted to look for solutions outside of the Lord. You come, become tempted to find, make your own way. You become tempted to meet your own need. Well, I'm lonely. I'm so lonely. I'm so tired of being sad and lonely and... Everybody else has somebody, and I have nobody. I'm going to go find somebody. Well, let me tell you, there's lots of folks out there who are looking to find you. This may not necessarily be a match made in heaven. This may be two demons cavorting. I will avoid any other words. Do you understand? It's not necessarily God. And so you need to go boldly before the throne of grace with your need. You need to be go boldly before the throne of grace with your problem. You need to go boldly before the throne of grace so that you don't enter into temptation, but you enter into the thing that God has for you. Because there is no need on the face of this earth that he doesn't have a provision for. So go boldly. So isn't it interesting how one of the definitions of ask outrageously was to be bold? It was in a very bold and even shocking way. Run to God with your need, with your request. So ask outrageously and go boldly with confidence in a courageous way. Willing to risk. That's one of the parts that's kind of hard about bold, isn't it? In a matter of confidence that some might view as presumptuous, impudent, or improper. See, when you have boldness, other people who don't have it look at that as being improper. They look at that as being uh, presumptuous. Well, who are you to talk to God like that anyway? Now, I am not, I am not suggesting that you do it out of anger that you do it out of uh, selfishness or um, with any other motive that would be negative. I did that once, and um, it was very close to destructive of my entire life. I was mad because I was alone. I was mad because all of my friends had boyfriends. I was mad because they were all going out on dates and I... I was sitting at home. I was mad. I didn't like being lonely. I said, it's not fair. God, when I came to you, I put you first. And so I haven't had anybody in my life for these, you know, counting off the years and the days and the months and the hours. <laughs> Informing him as though he didn't know. I want somebody in my life. I was riding down my car in my AMC Javelin down New Jersey Boulevard in Wildwood Crest, New Jersey. I can tell you where I was, yelling in my car at God. I don't want to be alone, God. I want somebody in my life. It's not right. It's not fair. By the time I got from Wildwood Crest to Cape May, where the lighthouse was, some guy asked me out. I got what I wanted, all right. God answered my prayer. He answered it fast. Lickety split. Well, it may not have been God actually. It's like, yeah, you want it? Oh, I'll give it to you. You know, there's a scripture in Psalms that says, he gave them their request, but sent leanness to their soul. So sometimes, yeah, you can make a big fit with God. You can get what you want. Oh, yeah, you want that? Okay. Just let me step back here. And who rushes in when God steps out? Anyway, that turned to be out to be a huge, huge, huge disaster. And if I had followed through on that thing, because eventually the guy asked me to marry him, and because 
God answered so quickly and because of some different things that I took as God signs, I almost fell into that trap. And later, pastor tells me, you know, I was going to ask you out, but then, I can't even remember his name, Bill Kostiak, he asked you out and I thought, well, you know, who am I? He's slick, he's this, he's that. Oh yeah, God was working and I didn't know it when I became defiant with God. It was not a good scene. So I give you that as a warning. You know, out of anger. We're not, we're not coming boldly and outrageously before God out of anger. We're not coming, um, you know, with the wrong motive or the wrong intent. But nonetheless, we're coming with confidence in a courageous way. Without timidity or fear. In Ephesians, you read this when you get home, the passage of Ephesians 3.10. It says, we have confidence or boldness to come and ask because God has set it up that it is his intent and purpose that we show forth his glory before the principalities and powers. God's looking for his church to rise up and look like something. The intent is to demonstrate to all the demonic forces of hell that are arrayed against the church that God has a purpose for us. God has a plan for us. God has a destiny for us. God is the living God. So read that passage. And then the last thing God spoke to me shortly after these two things was, this is a year of advancement. This is a year for us to advance. And I think part of the strategy for advancing is to go boldly and ask outrageously and to do the things that foster his presence because it's the presence of God, the kingdom of God that Jesus carried that enabled him to do what he did. And so that's the message for today. I kept you over <laughs> 30 minutes, but... I want you to know we're going to go boldly, ask outrageously, believe God. We're going to push off fear and intimidation. We're going to push off the accusation of the enemy. We're going to push off shame. We're going to push off the shushers. Even if the shusher is between our own ears. Amen.